This is obviously our second week gathering for the Growth Institute. Last week, uh, Pastor Jason went through some introductory things, um, talked about uh, what theology is, uh, why we do theology. Um, This week, we're going to be talking a little bit more of the how we do theology, um, how theology is to be done. Um, If the students, for those who have students in the student ministry in here, um, you might have heard that I like to teach um, new words, large words, and so I'll be doing that every single time I teach as well here. Jason isn't as much of a fan of that. He likes um, keeping uh, it a little bit simpler, but I like more of the academic setting, teaching larger words. So a fun word um, is prolegomena. And simply what that means, uh, prolegomena refers to uh, the, the things you discuss before getting into the actual doctrines. Um, it's the introductory things, uh, things to first consider before getting into theology. Uh, so last week, Pastor Jason uh, went through some prolegomena and this week as well will be some prolegomena. Um, discussing how we're supposed to do theology before actually getting into it. But let me pray, and then we will um, get into the study. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and um, look at your word, Lord. Look back in history and see what many other faithful brothers and sisters have said about you, Lord. Um, I thank you that we are able to do theology with the church, Lord, Um, that we're able to uh, gather together, Lord, discuss what uh, Scripture says about who you are, um, while also um, finding help from those who have gone before us and seeing what they had said about who you are, Lord. I pray that you'll speak through me and that I'll be faithful to your word, faithful to who you are, Lord. And I pray that we could have some great discussion uh, during this time tonight. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So before we get into the study specifically for tonight, um, you all should have picked up... um, this sheep, uh, the correct posture in the task of theology, um, a heart of humility and worship. Um, that should have been the first sheet. That's what we're going to be working through. Um, so for those who will be watching online, you could access that note sheet as well online. So, but before we get into that, I want to uh, review a little bit of what Pastor Jason ended us with last week. Uh, Some of the things we talked about last week, he talked about the different ways we do theology. He talked about biblical theology. He talked about systematic theology, historical theology, and applied theology, which also could be called practical theology. He talked through some of the differences with that. Um, And what we're doing here tonight is specifically systematic theology. Um, Since I like historical theology, uh, you're going to be seeing my note sheets a bit different than Jason's with a bunch of old people quotes, (laughs) people who've lived hundreds of years ago, uh, even thousands of years ago, uh, to help us along the way. Uh, But he had us work through Tozer's quotes, for those who are here and could remember, Tozer's quotes, and he... uh, showed us the difference between Tozer's quotes and C.S. Lewis's quotes. Um, Let me find that really quick. So uh, he had, if you did the homework, um, it's fine if you didn't. Um, We'll have homework here uh, just to help with the studies, and it'll just help you be extra prepared. Um, But if you did the homework, he gave you a chapter the first chapter of the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which by A.W. Tozer. Um, some of you had already read that. 
and the reason why he gave you that uh, chapter to read is because there's a famous quote in it that says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he compared that with C.S. Lewis's quote. He said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, is it not? How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So C.S. Lewis is saying the exact opposite of um, Tozer. He's saying what God thinks of us is the most important thing. And Tozer's quote was, what we think of God is the most important thing. So Jason asked you all, if you had done it, um, to reflect on that and see who you guys agree with. Um, Did anyone think through it this past week? Lonnie did. Um, Lonnie, where did you fall in? Did you fall more with one or the other or kind of both? C.S. Lewis. Anyone else? Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this, of like, what is our starting place in doing theology? Um, When we want to figure out, like, should it start with my thoughts of who God is and my reason uh, and work my way up, or does it start the other way, start with God himself, and it works his way down to us and just our ability to know uh, and we're going to get more into that when we talked about the doctrine of revelation itself, how God reveals himself to us, which will be the next two weeks after this week. Um, did anyone else uh, work through that and wants to share their thoughts? So it is, sure. So it is a little bit of a different question. What's the most important thing versus what's the more important thing about us? We aren't the most important thing. So when you just say what's the most important thing, you leave it open-ended. It goes well beyond us in that way. Um, so, yeah. So I like the discussion. Um, and 
we will get a little bit more into it actually today even when we talk about faith and reason and the relationship between the two uh, in our note sheet. But I wanted to just hear a couple of thoughts before diving into that. Anyone else? Um, it's fascinating for sure. I like both Tozer and Lewis. And it's also interesting to note, um, it sounds like C.S. Lewis is responding to Tozer, but he's actually not because C.S. Lewis wrote this in the 40s uh, and Tozer wrote his in the 70s. Um, so that's just an interesting side note as well. All right. Um, so let's pull out your sheets, um, the correct posture and the task of theology. Like I said, this is still prolegomena um, items. Uh, first task matters, things that we should consider before diving into the actual doctrines of God. Um, so that's where we're at. How we should be doing theology. And I broke up the note sheet into four different uh, categories. As you'll see. So the first one, we have the inseparability of life and theology. The life and theology should ultimately be inseparable. Let me read for us um, from the Galatians passage, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through uh, 26. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So this is a famous passage, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I don't think most people would think of this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, when we're starting a discussion on the doctrines of God. Um, but it's important to, uh, because as we talked a little bit about last week, um, we are to study God, do theology, learn about who God is, more so for it to ultimately affect our lives. Um, as we do theology, goal or the aim of us doing theology is so that we will grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Um, have our life look more and more like Christ every single day. Um, and the only way for us to grow and have our lives be transformed more like Christ every day is for us to know who Christ is. Um, to know wh how our lives are being transformed. Uh, who they're being transformed to look more like. Um, so yes, the inseparability of life and theology is incredibly important. And we need to understand this uh, before we could really dive into the doctrines of God. Um, because this might sound nice and easy now, the concept that we shouldn't separate theology um, and life. But when we get to doctrines like the Trinity question more becomes like, well, how does that apply to my life? I don't see the practicality of God being three in one on my life. Um, but what I'm saying now, before we even get into that, is it completely influences it. The fact that God is the triune God completely influences your life um, and your ability to worship him. Um, and we will, we will get into that. So attempting to separate life and theology is to lose the beauty and trustfulness of both. Think about that. Attempting to separate life and theology is to lose the beauty and truthfulness of both. What's your guys' initial reaction to that statement? Do you agree? Disagree? By attempting to separate these two, we are losing the beauty of both of them. Um, I might see one person say, well, how could you say we're losing the beauty of theology by not applying it to our lives? Because truthfulness is truthfulness. It's true no matter what, if you apply it or not. So therefore, it's still beauty, beautiful. Um, or you can maybe say the same thing about life. Um, 
What do you guys think about that statement? Do you agree with it or disagree with it? Or you're just not sure and you're still processing? What was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that completely influences your life 100%, right? Um, your life is completely transformed and made new. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives within us, as Galatians 2.20 tells us. So that's really good. So we gain life through Christ. That's kind of what we're mentioning here. So the purpose of theology, and I kind of mentioned this already, the purpose of theology is to know God so that our lives may be transformed. Right? The purpose of us doing theology is for us to know God so that our lives may be transformed. And so we see the, the practicality of that, our life being transformed. That's very practical. We, as our lives are changed. Um, the way we interact with others, um, the way the fruit of the Spirit that we first read grows within us. Um, so I have several quotes here. Uh, it was hard for me not to put more on. <laughs> um, and the reason why I like church history, and I've said this many times, and you'll probably hear me say it many times again, is when we use, look at the past and what other faithful men have said about God, uh, we are doing theology with the church. Um, God has been working in people's lives for thousands of years. And for thousands of years, people have been wrestling with Scripture um, and trying to know God themselves. And they have been part of the body of Christ. Uh, So it's helpful for us to then lean in on some people who have gone before us so they could help us learn. I never want to put individuals back in church history on the same level of Scripture. Of course not. This is our only authority, Scripture alone. Uh, But it's helpful. Uh, But these uh, men could help us, and uh, different uh, females as well, back in church history. But as you can see on your note sheet, um, we have a guy named William Ames, John Owen, and Charles Hodge in this first section. Has anyone heard of any of them? I see one hand. Oh, two more hands over here. I know Elizabeth probably heard them from me, but that's all right. Um, So these uh, men are very helpful. We see William Ames and John Owen. uh, They are known as English Puritans. Uh, They lived in England. Uh, William Ames actually moved over to the Netherlands later in his life uh, because of religious persecution and he wasn't able uh, to worship the way he was convicted to, um, that he saw was right to. So William Ames moved over to Netherlands, but John Owen stayed in England his whole life. Um, But you can see the dates of when they lived. Um, Here are some quotes. The first quote is, uh, and William Ames and John Owen first, I want to say they're in these quotes, they're defining what theology is. All right, so they're giving a definition of what theology is, what we're, what we're doing. And so William Ames said, theology is the doctrine or teaching of living to God. So it's seeing what God has revealed about himself, right? God has to show us himself. He reveals himself to us. And then we see that, we receive it. And how, whatever we do with that knowledge However, we interact with that knowledge is what theology is. Um, And the way we interact with it is how we live out as a result of receiving it. Um, So theology is the doctrine of, or teaching of living to God. So it's the idea of living toward God, um, living to become more like him. And so we see that it's very practical in every sense because it's about life itself. Um, John Owen He said, we can come to a definition of theology as, so this is his definition, the doctrine of God with regard to himself, his works, his will, 
his worship, as well as our required obedience, our future rewards and punishments, all as revealed by God himself to the glory of his name. And it ends with, it's ultimately to the glory of his name. So he'll be praised and honored within it. Um, So you see, it's about God himself, right? Then our response to it, our required obedience to it. Um, That's what theology is according to to these men. Um, And you see Charles Hodge here. Uh, Charles Hodge is known as a Princetonian. That's a nice fancy word. Princetonian, he taught at Princeton University um, before um, it became, uh, when it was more conservative, is how I should say it. Uh, when it was, before it was a lot more conservative, Charles Hodge is um, kind of out of the same tradition as the English Puritans in a way. Uh, you could see when he lived. B.B. Um, Warfield was a contemporary of his, uh, if you've heard of him. I think I quote him a little bit later in this packet. But he says, Holiness is essential to correct knowledge of divine things and the great security from error. So holiness, our holy lives, living a holy life, is essential to be able to know God correctly. Right? There is inseparability between life and theology. We need to have live out holy lives um, in order to correctly know who God is. Um, what are some responses to this? this? Do you guys agree with what Hodge says? Um, is this sound new to you guys, or does this make perfect sense? I want to hear some thoughts. I know it's not a direct question, but... Because think of it like this, guys. Uh, theology is, learn, is knowing God. It's not just the study of God, right? Theology is coming to actually know who God is. God is the Holy One. When you actually come to know the Holy One, your life is being transformed to look more like Him. You, you rightly recognize the beauty um, of who He is. You, recognize, you rightly recognize the praise that he deserves because of his holiness. Um, and so as you come to know him personally, your life is going to be transformed to look more like him as a result. Uh, so the obvious question that should come up for some of you all should be, well, what about different professors who don't profess to actually believe in Jesus Christ but are religious professors and do theology? Can you do theology without actually knowing God, without being a Christian? Um, I, I see one shake, heard no, right, no. Um, obviously, many people um, outside of Christianity would disagree with us here uh, because many people write books on the doctrines of God. Many people um, engage in theological discussion without actually believing this to be true. But see the difference is we're defining theology as actually knowing God. It's the study of actually coming to know God. Those who don't know the Lord, those who aren't Christians, as I just said, don't actually know, know God. So we just don't want to do theology here as intellectuals, as academics, but we actually want to do theology as Christians um, because we actually want to get to know God. And that is why we want to study the doctrines of God, not just for some intellectual exercise, right? But we want to actually get to know this living, this living God. Um, all right, so let's jump down to the second one. So we have the inseparability of life and theology. And then these next three that come are kind of uh, stem out of the reality that life and theology go hand in hand. Um, we have created a false dichotomy between these two things, and I hope that we could destroy that. Right? Many people say they might not like theology as Christians because it just stirs up 
arguments, disagreements. Um, those who like to engage in theology just want to um, engage in, you know, in debate. But that's what I hope we could destroy that, that line of thinking because God wants us to be engaging in theology because he wants us to get to know him um, in a real saving way as I believe many of us have already, but then now just in a way that we can have regular um, fellowship with him. All right, so faithful reason. Faithful reason. Um, what is the relationship between faith and reason? So when we think about the task of um, getting to know God more, where does faith come in? Doing theology as Christians, as I just said, where does faith come in and where does reason come in and how do they relate to each other? What do you guys think? Have you guys thought of this before? Yeah. Yeah, so just our own ability um, to think intellectually. Um, so it does include those things that you mentioned. Um, this kind of goes back to the whole Tozer and Lewis discussion. Tozer uh, is starting more with human reason because it's what man thinks about God as the most important thing versus Lewis is more on faith because he's starting with God and what God says about us or about things is the most important thing. Uh, so you could apply it that way. But I'm using reason just broadly, our intellectual thoughts, our ability to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we stand on the ice, we know we want to go through because our faith is based on the reasons that we can justify that faith. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can put our faith in the wrong thing. Definitely. And it won't make much difference. That's true. So Lonnie is saying that they have to go hand in hand, faith and reason together. Um and I agree, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but someone might say, well, isn't one of the major reformed, uh, pro- from the Protestant Reformation uh, teachings is that we're saved by faith alone. Where does faith alone um, come into this discussion? I agree, it's with faith and reason together, uh, because we're not supposed to have blind faith, right? So how do we nuance that? How do we try to put those things together. We're saved by faith alone. Um, I don't know. Other thoughts. What is the relationship between faith and reason? Yeah. No, that's fine. Sometimes it's helpful for us to talk out loud to organize our own thoughts. I don't know. Anyone else? How do they relate?
trust to him or put him their life into his hands. Mm. There's a difference. So, so it has to be that's why faith is what's required. But we take it based on the reason. We have the Bible that proves us mm. the fact that we then have to still go, go out in faith and, and, and then believe you know, that God exists and Jesus was real and was the private sacrifice for us. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so, guys, think of it like this. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, and we are completely ignorant of all things. Our sin blinds us to the truth, which is Christ. Um, so, God needs to come in and waken us up, right? Uh, and tell us about himself. He needs to reveal himself to us. And I've talked about Revelation, Doctrine of Revelation, a little bit. And like I said, we're going to get more into that in the next two weeks. Um, so there's this wealth of knowledge existing in God, obviously, um, that we need to figure out how to grasp some of it. Um, and for us to come to know God initially, it has to be on faith alone, right? But once we receive Christ, once we become united with Christ, um, it allows us to actually have the ability to reason correctly. Because all the reason and knowledge and wisdom and truth, truthfulness all comes from God. So we first need to be joined with God and have him working in our lives for us to be reasonable to be able to reason as Christians, uh, to be able to reason with his wisdom, to be able to reason with um, the trustworthiness of God with his word. Um, so the way I would articulate this, and some others may articulate a little bit differently, faith needs to come first between faith and reason, but they need to go hand in hand afterwards. Uh, reason is incredibly important in our faith. Um, I mean, God says in Isaiah 118 that he calls us to reason together, to reason with him. Uh, he gave us a mind on purpose, right? And we can only reason properly when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Um, when the Holy Spirit is the one revealing more of himself, more of God to us. Um, so faith needs to come and then reason then falls hand in hand with faith afterwards. We need to begin with God and his character before our own reasoning. Um, so on, uh, in this section, we have three terms, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. These are other fun, some fun words. Um, these are philosophical terms and categories uh, that are used. And I think it's, I think it's helpful uh, here. Um, and yes, I have even taught these terms to the youth group multiple times. <laughs> um, and uh, has anyone, does anyone know what these terms mean? Are able to articulate them? What was that? Ethics. Ethics is the easiest one, right? Um, so, uh, these are uh, just categories that helps us think through things, reason um, through things, and it helps us also broadly um, know just how worldviews work as well. Uh, but we won't be getting into that. So on the line with metaphysics, you could write, metaphysics um, asks the question, what is really real? What is really real? Um, so metaphysical concepts um, discuss things such as being, existence, or purpose, uh, things like that. So that's, those are metaphysical concepts. So they, metaphysics asks the, questions, the question, what is really real? Simply that. Um, and then the second one, epistemology. That's a fun term. Um, epistemology is asking the question, how do you know what is really real? 
So it takes the concept of the purpose of life and then it asks, how do you know what is really real? Metaphysics is what is really real? Epistemology is how do you know? And then the third category, it should be all building together. The third category then is the results. How should you live based on, I mean, your answers to the earlier two, right? So how do you live based on the earlier things, based on your metaphysics, based on your epistemology? Um, and so why, the reason why I want to introduce these philosophical categories uh, is because I think they're incredibly helpful um, broadly, but as it relates to this specific discussion, faithful reason, we want to fa- reason faithfully as Christians as we do the task of theology, uh, is because I would suggest we are to start with metaphysics. Um, we are to start with metaf- uh, metaphysics as we do theology. And what I mean by that is we are to begin with the idea that God is real. The concept of God and the purpose of life is God himself and to glorify him. And then we get into epistemology. How do we know that to be true? That's where our reason comes in. See, epistemology discusses a lot of what is reasonable. How do we know things are real, right? That's where human reason comes in. Epistem or metaphysics begins with the concepts of God himself. Um, so when you think of when modernity, uh, when the era of modernity uh, started, uh, when you have like the Enlightenment, when um, uh, textual criticism uh, became a thing, uh, many philosophers would switch these two categories. They would start with epistemology and then go into your metaphysics. And you would say, well, what is really real? Or how do you know what is really real? And so you would have to prove what is really real with textual criticism or whatever it may be. Uh, And then that would establish what your metaphysics is. Um, So that's starting with reason first. And then it goes into then, how does that influence your faith? And what I want to show for us as Christians to do theology as Christians is that we need to start with faith first because we need to start with who God is first and have him reveal himself to us. And that will then influence our epistemology. That will influence our reason because our reasoning has to come from God himself. Um, I know this is very, uh, seems very academic and difficult concepts, um, which is, good sometimes, but I do want to bring it down a little bit now. Um, hopefully that was helpful. If not, you just learned some fun words, I guess. Um, but Augustine, uh, who's heard of Augustine? He's one of the uh, most famous early um, theologians, uh, known as uh, living in the patristic era. Uh, but you can see when he lived here. Um, but he, he uh, said this, and this quote is going back to how we need to have faithful reason, right? Um, as we do the task of theology, we are to have faith, which then allows us to reason properly, so then we are to have faith and reason going hand in hand. Um, so he says, God will help us and make us understand what we believe. So we see there, the very first line, God is the source of our knowledge, not our own reason. So faith has to be the beginning point. We can be sure we are treading in the path pointed to the prophet who says, unless you believe, you will not understand. Our hearts need to be cleansed first by believing that we may be able to see with them. So our eyes first need to be cleansed by believing and then we could see, and therefore we can reason. Um, so it's that, that idea, right? Faith, then reason. So you can only do theology properly as a Christian. All right. We have to get going. Uh, moving on, point three. Prayer 
and study. Um, prayer and study. The question is for you all, what is the role of prayer in the act of knowing God or in the act of studying to know God? What is the role of prayer? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's really good. And it's building off of the last category we just talked about, right? It's praying to God, asking him to reveal himself to us so we could accept him um, in faith, right? And so that w- then we could reason out the text uh, and understand it. Um, yes, yes, to humble us. Yes, that's the, that's the next category. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, but humility is incredibly important, right? Because we're talking things about God, who is infinite. We are finite. Um, we will never be able to know even close to what there is to know about God. Um, and the purpose of us knowing God is for us to be able to worship him for who he truly is. Um, and so if you go about trying to know God first and foremost so that we could worship him well. Um, it should always be, uh, we should always be coming to him first with prayer. Um, other thoughts? What is the role of prayer in the act of studying to know God? Yeah. He shows us how to pray, right? That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And so think of it like this. I mean, you guys have great answers. Um like if someone were to write a, a research paper on a figure who was still alive, um, studying them would just be studying about them in books, seeing interviews um, with this individual, writing a paper on them. Um, the idea of prayer and study would be equivalent to the person who wants to study an individual who's still alive to have a actual dialogue with them, to get to know them personally, um, to spend time with them, right? It's actually getting to know the person instead of just getting to know about the person. Uh, Those who are not believers, those who are not Christians, who do theology, don't do true theology because they're only getting to know somewhat about abstract ideas about God. But when you do theology as Christians, which is what I am proposing, hoping for us to be able to do, is we're actually getting to know God personally so that we may worship him, um, so that he may be transforming our lives, uh, that we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, um, as we read in the very beginning in Galatians chapter 5, right? Um, so prayer is incredibly important as we study and do the task of theology. So theology is one of the primary ways we interact with the one we are studying, and we are to study him faithfully. Uh, we are to study him to faithfully interact with him. So it's the idea of having communion with God, having fellowship with God. As believers, once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we are perfectly united to Christ, right? You can't lose your salvation. You are united forever with Christ once you have truly put your faith in Jesus. But our communion or our fellowship with him could waver as believers. Um, 
I think I mentioned this before, maybe a while ago. John Owen, one of the people we quoted earlier, said it like this. He says, our union with Christ is like the sun. It's always full and bright. It's always there. But our communion or our fellowship with God can sometimes look like the moon, right? There could be slivers of it. It could be a little bit more full. Um, The purpose of us doing theology is so that um, we will have more fellowship, more communion with God, because that's how we worship him, um, by living holy lives. Um, So let's look at some of these quotes. We have Richard Baxter, B.B. Warfield. I had mentioned earlier, B.B. Warfield was a contemporary, a colleague, I should say, of Charles Hodge. Uh, Warfield was also a Princetonian. He worked, he was a professor at Princeton University back in the day. Um, when they desired uh, to um, hold to the trustworthiness of God's word. Uh, But let's look first at Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter was also a Puritan. You could see when he lived. Um, This quote is actually an analogy that he gives to prove a point. And he says, as you can see, many a tailor goes in rags, that maketh costly clothes for others. And many a cook scarcely licks his fingers when he hath dressed for others the most costly dishes. And you can see this comes from Reformed, the Reformed pastor, a book he wrote. Um, and this is showing the idea that those who labor um, to make clothes for others, costly clothes to make beautiful clothes, those who labor... Um, to cook meals, costly food, um, could sometimes themselves not actually partake in their own efforts. And so this could be for us as Christians too. Um, As we study God's word, uh, especially for leaders um, in the church. So if you're teaching in any role, if you're mentoring others, just even in friendships, in any role, uh, sharing God's word with others in any role, sometimes we could be working at maybe a lesson, um, maybe um, finding out um, biblical answers to an issue a friend is having, um, working at theology, uh, but we ourselves aren't actually um, tasting the fruit of it. Um, And it's sad when people do theology this way. Um, When we study the things of God, but don't actually interact with him personally. When we don't actually have the fruits of finding joy in who God is from our studies. Um, This is the analogy Richard Baxter is talking about. And I think this is true for a lot of Christians because they run into the regular routine of doing things. And then you forget the fulfillment you should or you ought to be getting from it. Um, And so I need to remind myself of this regularly. Uh, And then you see B.B. Warfield's, Benjamin Warfield's, Quote here, it says, Sometimes we hear it said that 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than 10 hours over your books. What is the appropriate response? Than 10 hours over your books, than your knees. Why should you turn from God when you turn to your books? Or feel that you must turn from your books in order to turn to God? And learning and devotion um, are as antagonist, antagonist as that, then the intellectual life is in itself accursed. And there can be no question of a religious life of a student, even of theology. Um, so he, Warfield is responding to the saying that it's better to spend so many hours on your knees in prayer than it is to be pouring over books of theology. Um, and he's saying, we're creating a false dichotomy there. We should be 
praying as we study theology, as we're doing the intellectual components of the study. Um, prayer and study need to go hand in hand. They don't need to be separate things. Um, so as we study God's word, to be faithful to what the original intent meant as we prepare a lesson or as we're just doing our own personal devotional time, um, it should be with rigorous study, right? We should take God's word seriously and get to know it seriously. Uh, but we can't just look at this like any other research book, right? We need to be doing it prayerfully um, as we ask the Holy Spirit to be revealing things to us. Ask God uh, to be changing our lives, be um, working in our lives as we study God's word. So that's what B.B. Warfield is saying here. And I think that's definitely helpful. Um, And then the last category, we have humility and repentance. Um, I want to read really quick Psalm 25, 19. Uh, It says, He leads the humble in what is right. Obviously, he referring to God. He teaches the church his way. Oh, I read that wrong. (laughs) He teaches the humble his way. Um, he teaches the humble his way. So it says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So if God teaches the humble his way, this is what we're after as we do theology is to get to know God for who he truly is, right? And God teaches us that. He's the one who first reveals himself to us so that we can know things of him. Uh, and he does that for those who are humble. Um, So humility and repentance uh, is incredibly important to be able to do theology, to do the study of theology as a Christian. And again, that's what we're after. Uh, To study theology, to get to know God personally. Um, So you can see, first line on this section, repentance needs, uh, repentance needs to uh, happen, Ugh. I wrote this wrong. Repentance needs to happen not only when we recognize our sinful actions, but also when we recognize our false or weak thoughts about God. So let me say it again. Repentance needs to happen not only when we recognize our sinful actions, but also when we recognize our false or weak thoughts about God. Um, I think many of us think of repentance, asking God to convict us of our sins. Um, Obviously, incredibly important. Uh, But many of us think of repentance and uh, repenting our sins as um, wrongful actions we do. And it does involve that. uh, If you um, were to, I don't know, whatever, um, throw a punch at someone. I don't know. Uh, like an actual sinful action, we should repent of those things. Uh, but also, Scripture teaches us that we are to repent for our idolatrous thoughts, um, for our wrongful ideas of who God actually is. And this is what idols are. Um, so we need to be able to repent for our false or even weak thoughts about God. Um, has anyone ever thought of repentance this way? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good example. That's a very practical example. I think many of us could uh, relate with um, wanting God to act on our time, and that's expressing a false thought of God or a weak thought of God um, in the fact that we are in charge, as you just said. 
right? That God doesn't know um, what's good for us because we do instead. Um, so that's a great example. Um, anyone else for this? Anyone other have any other examples? Uh, I think we need to remind ourselves that this is something we need to repent of often. Um, and if this is true, as we study God, as we get to know him more and more, which is our intent as doing theology as Christians, so that we can have better communion with him, better fellowship with him, we may uh, be convicted, hopefully will be convicted of weak thoughts we previously had of him. Um, and I think we may even now have weak thoughts of God that we don't even know we have. Um, and this is even for myself, false thoughts about who God is. And so as I discover more of who God is from his word, right, through what God has revealed to us, interact with this text, struggle through it, um, and I realize something um, beautiful about who he is, uh, I then need to repent of false thoughts or weak thoughts of of God. Um, So what are some examples of some false or weak thoughts about God. We, we just said one. What are some other thoughts or examples? Let's think, let's think of particular examples that we may um, come up with. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the idea that God in the Old Testament is an angry God, God in the New Testament is the God of love, we're almost making two different gods in our minds. Um, God is one, right? So repent of that. That's a great example. What are some other examples that we may, um, of weak thoughts or false thoughts that we may have? That's good. Um, anyone else? One of the ones that first comes to my mind is our weak, and this falls more in the weak area versus the false. The weak um, theology we have or weak thoughts we have about who God is in and of himself And when I mean that, I'm referring to the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, I think many evangelical Christians, many of us, um, struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity um, where we say, yes, God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, three, but yet there's only one God. Um, And then we say that and we confess that to be true, which is true. Um, but then we leave it there because we can't understand anything more. Um, and that, uh, in and of that self, just that phrase right there, um, three persons but one God is true, but there's so much more we could talk about as it relates to the Trinity. I think many Christians... 
evangelical Christians um, have a weak theology of the Trinity. And that's one of the reasons uh, I want us to be able to gather here and talk about the doctrines of God, because we're going to spend three weeks on the Trinity, um, which I'm excited about, uh, to try to help that. And so we could repent of, um, of those things, of not taking the time to get to know God in of who he actually is. Um, so again, going to the question of someone may ask, well, what, why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Um, because many people don't see how it directly influences your life. If God was triune, great. If God wasn't, also great. Um, but really, I, I want you guys to recognize by asking that question, the triune God is who our God is as Christians. This is the God of the Bible. And if we say, how does the doctrine, how does the Trinity actually matter? We're asking, how does God actually matter? Um, because God is the Father, Son, Spirit. And so that's why I want us to get to know um, how God reveals himself um, in Scripture as a triune God, go beyond just the Father, Son, Spirit, individual persons, but one God. Um, like I said, that is true, but there's so much more we need to unpack as the different implications that have. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a false heretical idea that, that's called modalism as it relates to the Trinity, uh, that God, the one God, uh, cre- like presents himself in different modes at different times. He's the Father, uh, that's one mode. He's the Son, that's one mode. And so he shows himself as the Son sometimes, and then he shows himself as the Spirit sometimes. Um, that's modalism, and that's completely false, and it has implications. So the reason why it's important to discuss these things is because it has implications on our lives uh, in, in the way we think of God, in the way um, salvation works. Uh, and let me back up. So the doctrine of the Trinity, of who God is, and this is why we're starting with the doctrine of God um, this fall semester, because whatever we say about God, everything else flows from that, right? That's the starting point. So the doctrine of salvation flows from that, right? The doctrine of man flows from that. Uh, the doctrine of the end times uh, flows from that. Um, whatever it may be, um, everything flows from who God is. The doctrine of whatever we build the foundation as of who God is, what we believe about God, um, has great influences, uh, impacts a lot. So, Let's look at uh, this quote, C.S. Lewis, bring it back all the way to C.S. Lewis. It says, in God, uh, in God, you came up against something which is in every respect immensely superior to yourself. Hopefully we could all agree with that. Immensely superior to us is who God is. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as something, as nothing in comparison you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. This is why we need humility. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Um, As long as we think we know it all, and we're proud in our theology, prideful, I should say, in our theology, um, only doing theology to win an argument, only doing theology to show how smart we are uh, instead of actually trying to get to know God more, um, we're missing the point, right? We're looking down and not actually looking up to who God actually is. Um, and so we are to do theology to, um, uh, to ultimately get to know him so our life is connected with our doctrine, with our theology, and so that we may worship him um, as a result. So these are some concluding thoughts as we start to wrap up here. Uh, concluding so- thoughts. Worship is the only proper response to God's revelation to humanity and the task of theology is to rightly see his revelation so, that, so we can rightly respond to him in worship for who he truly is. Um, we need to rightly see who he is 
so that we can rightly respond to who he is. Many people, many Christians, um, have a distorted view of who God actually is. Um, This is why we need to do theology, to rightly see who he is based on how he has revealed himself to us in in, in Scripture, in God's Word. Uh, Two, life and theology are inseparable because the aim of theology is to teach us how to respond to God with our lives. And then third, faith, reason, prayer, study, uh, humility. There should be a comma there between study and humility. uh, And repentance are key characteristics for everyone, for every theologian. Typo there again. The students always make fun of me in the student ministry uh, because I always have random typos, so I'll need to correct these. Um, So this is one as well. Uh, Our key characteristics for everyone, or you could say every theologian. (laughs) And we are all theologians. Everyone who thinks thoughts about God is a theologian. It's just you're either a good one or you're a bad one. Um, because everyone thinks thoughts about God. Um.